Hello, this is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. A quick plug before we start, my folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. And now, back to your regularly scheduled RetroTube. Before we begin, a quick shout-out to the excellent Antique Dust Archive TV podcast. It's an all-round fun and fascinating listen, plus there's a sneaky RetroTube guest appearance on their Exorcist Halloween special. Also, check out our own RetroTube Halloween special, in which Heather and I get discombobulated by the notorious 1987 Paul Daniels Halloween magic show. But now, theme tune! Welcome to RetroTube, the podcast in which my pal Heather and I inflict our favourite and sometimes not-so-favourite TV shows on each other from the 60s, 70s and 80s. In Children of the Stones we met Gareth Thomas. With the Persuaders we met Terry Nation. Now it's time for Brexit Star Trek. It's Blake Seven! Blake 7 was the BBC's attempt to make a space show for adults with grown-up themes, lots of bickering and no robot dog. Created by Dalek Supreme Terry Nation and script edited by Leela Supreme Chris Boucher, or Boucher as I used to think it was, Blake 7 ran for four series from 1978 through to 1981. Although a ratings hit at the time, the show subsequently became unjustly maligned for its wobbly sets, dodgy scripts and all the other things that people who didn't watch it made up about it. I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. And as a side note for anyone who may be enjoying the Blake 7 adventure for the first time, this episode contains no spoilers outside of Series A. So it's time to don our puffy sleeves and teleport bracelets, grab our Perspex hair tongs and ask, Heather, going into this, did you have any knowledge or preconceptions of Blake 7? Well, let me tell you about my uh, aforementioned knowledge and preconceptions, etc. I've been... How many years have I been friends with you now? 300... No, about 279. 279. For all of those 279 years, you have been talking to me about Blake 7. And I remember one time you came to stay with me. Out of all of the times that you've been to stay with me, mm. we don't remember much about any of these times because bourbon is involved a lot. <laughs> but I remember one time you did make me watch an episode of Blake 7. Did I? And I don't remember you that. You did make me watch an episode of Blake 7. I remember... Which one was it? It's, it's in fact one of the ones that we watched tonight. Was it? Yep. <laughs> I, have, I genuinely have no memory of that. Yeah, we watched it. I had very little memory of it, but I, but when I was watching it sober, uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I remember this entire storyline. So it must have been that one. Wow. Well, I have gen- I genuinely have no memory of that. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, this is this is a surprise to me that we watched this <laughs> sometime earlier. Blake 7 for me is one of the it's one of the big ones. There were three programs on TV that we watched regularly that I remember really clearly. Uh, one was Top of the Pops, one was Doctor Who, and one was Blake Seven. And all three of those stick it, stick out really clearly in my mind. 
And I wasn't a Doctor Who fan at the time. I wasn't a Blake Seven fan at the time. I was far too small, really, to to even know what being a fan of something was. Well, to be fair, you're not that tall even now. (laughs) No, not quite as tall as you. Nobody's that tall. Um, But, yeah, somehow in my mind, even though I was three or four when I was watching some of these, Doctor Who and Blake Seven never got mixed up. And Doctor Who, it's odd, I can't really remember now what I thought about it. I think possibly because it was so different from story to story. Doctor Who could be anything. It's this big kind of amorphous, all-consuming national institution. Whereas Blake Seven is this quite a... In my childhood memory, it was quite a mournful show with inky black space and bad-tempered scared adults and sudden unjust deaths and explode lots of exploding spaceships so it was a much more kind of haunting program there's just it's like it, it really got across like the bleakness and the coldness and the inkiness of space it was as eerie as it was scary when you're four yes um, so I have two memories. I Well, I have specific memories. Now, I'll go into my more specific memories as, as we get into series C and D. But I do remember asking my mum once if Jenna and Callie were the same people as Agneta and Annie Freed <laughs> from ABBA. Honestly, I can see where you're coming from. And I can see the similarities. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, the dress sense is very similar. And the hair. So I was convinced they were the same person. I can see where you're coming from, yeah. Also, when I was quite little, I um, made up some lyrics for the theme tune. Did you? Do you still have... Would you like to hear? I would! I was just about to ask about that, yes. Shall I perform? Now, I was probably about four... Do it. ...or five when I I made up the lyrics for the theme tune, so it goes... Sur-sur-sur-sur-verlan and her crew were bad. Serverland and her crew were bad. It, oh my goodness! It's pretty much like that. It, it went on in that that vein. Do you know? I've never loved a song more than the time that you told me that your <laughs> lyrics to "Ride of the Valkyries" was pieces of paper, pieces of paper, pieces, pieces of, of paper, paper piece pieces of, of paper, pieces of paper, pieces of cheese. Yeah, I still can't hear that song without hearing those lyrics. Me neither. I don't know me where they came now. from either. Thank you. <laughs> I, I ruined that song for everyone. Everyone. But yeah, that was beautiful. That was beautiful, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think I might go on Britain's Got Talent with that. Do it, do it. We are digressing. <laughs> We're digressing. So from what you've seen already, um, mm. would you be able to describe the premise of the show? And also as a special bonus treat, would you be able to describe each of the central characters to me? Okay, let me tell you this. The show is basically some kind of a weird cross between Star Trek and Firefly, but where Star Trek are the baddies and the entire budget for the series is £5. <laughs> that sounds about right. Also, the characters, mm. right, you've got your man in charge, you've got Adam Brake, your ma- the dad from Children's Yes, Stones. not quite so dadsy. He, he's very grumpy and very smouldery, so obviously I fancy him. <laughs> uh, that's all I need to know. Yeah. Um, then you've got the precious angel, Villa, who <laughs> is terrified of everything. And I adore him with every beat of my Aww. heart. And then precious you, angel. You, you've got... You, <laughs> yes. Then you've got a, a random tall guy being tall and, and, mm. and things. He's somewhere. little John. I, I don't quite know. I don't quite know what he does. He's like the little John of the band. 
And then you've got Avon, who is the most extra man in space, second only to John Tracy from Thunderbirds. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, a lot of people who like Thunderbirds who listen can't... to this, they'll know what that means and they'll be like, oh my God, he is. <laughs> what does it mean? Just being extra mean anyway. I'm too old to know about being extra. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll get some of our I barely know about being basic. <laughs> well, uh, extra is the opposite of basic. <laughs> okay, all right. We'll talk about this another time. <laughs> People are listening. All right. We'll have we'll have a special talk. Then you've got Jenna, who is absolutely done with everybody's nonsense 100% of the time. She is the equivalent mm-hmm. of Bones McCoy. <laughs> oh, wow, that's a good... That is her character. Right. It had better be right. A fraction out and you could put us down in the middle of the security barracks. Don't tempt me. And then you've got... Uh, What's her name? The fuzzy-haired one. Callie? Callie. Callie. Yeah, she's just... She's kind of... To everybody else, she kind of comes across initially as being very, very sweet and placid, but she's actually seriously badass. Mm. And then you've got the computer thing that talks, and it's like there is no reason for a disembodied voice to be quite that camp or quite that salty. <laughs> but it is both in spades. Wow! And that's and that's the uh, that's the people. That sounds that sounds pretty spot on. Yeah, I would welcome. say. I think it is. Um, I think Thank there's you. a lot of um, Robin Hood parallels there. So Blake wears a lot of Lincoln green a lot of the time, uh, and Gan is uh, is Little John. Although they didn't really they they didn't really know what to do with that character, so he did stand around a lot in the background. But they they could have made him kind of like there was a lot of standing around. Yeah, they could have made him Blake's standing best around, buddy. laughing heartily at Villa being a wimp. I think he did <laughs> yes. a lot of that. He could have been Blake's best buddy in in, in the way that Little John was, and it could have been more like that. So, and, and one of them is Will Scarlet. I don't know much about enough about Robin Hood to know which one but in uh seek locate destroy uh villa is wearing red so he could be will scarlet possibly yes so which gets me onto the episodes we've chosen so i've chosen two episodes uh two contrasting episodes from series a for you to watch Mm. uh seek locate destroy which was followed so that's episode six episode seven mission to destiny so i've chosen those two um because one is part of the the premise of blake seven one is to do with Mm. fighting the federation and the whole freedom thing that they're doing yes and uh mission to destinies and a whole unrelated side adventure so blake seven could do both quite easily and i quite like the fact that seek locate destroy is possibly the most generic of all blake seven episodes and i don't even mean that in a bad way uh because generic blake seven is good but it has quite a generic story of going in and blowing something up and then coming out again and disrupting the communication networks and that sort of thing. So it, it doesn't do... Mm. It's a good example of pure uh, Blake 7 premise, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. So would you be able to describe uh, the story of Seek, Locate, Destroy to us beyond what I've already just said? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no, they... Um... <laughs> They beam down onto uh, a planet, but it's kind of like not obviously a whole planet like they do with Star Trek. It's a, a very specific bit of a planet. It's like a, 
it's like a sort of security station, I think. Um, they have mm. to sort of infiltrate that and set and, and trip a load of alarms and steal some stuff. And they steal a thing that helps them decode all the bad guys' messages. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And yes. then blow up the base to make it seem like that thing has been destroyed blow so that the they base. won't change yes. the ciphers. And Callie gets stuck in the explosion, so everybody thinks that she's dead. But Adam Brake says, no, she's probably not. <laughs> I want to go and find her. And Stones, where's my son? It's all very confusing. I think you're the only person remaining who thinks of, who still thinks of Blake as Adam Brake. I can't help it. You introduced me to that first. <laughs> Deliberately so. <laughs> God damn. Well, my first, my first thought on it, which is just a general thing to do with the uh, opening titles, mm. the bit where you see Blake's face and then it zooms away quickly and gets distorted. I've always thought he looks like a baboon or a mandrill in that that moment. I I I, I didn't get that. It's well, a thing I, to go I, back I will, and look I at. I will you... have another look. And uh... so, what did you make of um, Seek, Locate, Destroy? Well, I liked it. I, uh, now, th there are a lot of reasons that I liked it. I loved the fact. I, I just love Villa. I'm just going to come out here right now. He, he's just. He's, he's good, adorable. isn't he? Yes. He's adorable and he's terrified of everything. <laughs> and I 100% identify with that. The late, very great, very much loved by me, Tim Brooke Taylor, once said that cowardice is an elevated form of intelligence. And I feel like that is Villa's motto. I go along with that. In life. I, I loved him. And I loved the fact that like he he beamed down after not really wanting to, but he carries a picnic hamper with him for some reason. It's got his tools. Oh, right. Fair enough. He lands on a planet armed with a large picnic hamper. And then Blake says to him, Yeah, over here. And then as soon as Villa runs over, he goes, Shh, no noise. There's some hypocrisy going on here. <laughs> Mr. Blake. But the thing I loved the most was the Monty Python-esque sort of uh, di distraction thing that Villa employed, saying, oh, hello, I'm I'm a criminal, and I've escaped, and I um, just, I'm, I'm, I'm into doing a bit of sabotage these days. I wonder if you could help me. Hello there. How are you? Excuse me wondering about your premises, but I wonder if you can help me. I'm an escaped prisoner. I was a thief, but recently I've become interested in sabotage. In a small way, you understand. Nothing too ambitious. I hate vulgarity, don't you? Anyway, I've come to blow something up. What do you think will be most suitable? And I just, I laughed my head off at that. And as soon as I'd started laughing, I was like, yeah, you've got me now. Okay. He said, I hate vulgarity, don't you? And that is just cute. Well, I think there's a, a, one glaring downside with this episode, uh, particularly as a place to introduce somebody to Blake Seven properly when they're not entirely off their face on Clark's bourbon. Mm. And it's the comedy robot. The comedy robot. I loved him. Oh, did you? I think the comedy robot is unfortunate because it's, it kind of does... It, it's supposed to be quite a tense episode, but you start the first thing you see is the ridiculous robot. Is the silly robot? I know, but I, I, yeah. I laughed at the silliness, and, and I, I probably wasn't meant to, but I just did anyway, uh, because it was just it was funny. 
but everything everything about that whole scene was funny it wasn't just like the robot wasn't the only funny thing it's like this is meant to be from from what i gather this is meant to be set in maybe maybe the 22 2300s and it's clearly being filmed in in like the 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 back lot of of the of, of some kind of production studio in the night in the late 70s i think it's a chemical factory yeah it probably is but it's like 100 percent the most 70s outside broadcast scene that has ever been filmed like the, there is nothing futuristic about it least of all the robot like the robot is the least incongruous thing <laughs> yes that factory setting or similar factory settings turn up in a lot of blake seven and a few oh. doctor who's as well actually i've just watched recently ambassadors of death and that might well be the same factory that that that, that is standing in for the british uh aerospace project there is sort of like quite a cute attempt and it's almost invisible. It's quite impressive that they did it. But there's a matte painting or some kind of additional bit of scenery showing all sorts of futuristic buildings way in the background. But it's so distant and so small that it's the first time I've ever noticed it. So we get, this is a good introduction to the Villa character. Uh, yes. He is um, a, a thief, a burglar. So that's his speciality. So it's a team of people with specialities, but his is being able to break into anything and he can open any lock. Yes, I saw that. As he says, if he's scared if enough. he's scared enough. He was terrified in this particular instance. He's terrified in most episodes. I love him. Uh, and it's one of the episodes where we actually get to see him do his job, which is good. Yeah, rather than just wibbling generally. What did you think to the design of the Liberator spaceship? That's a very good question. Like I say, I really liked... The computer, whose name I've forgotten, who is very salty. Zen. Zen. Very salty. Um, he's just full of sarcasm all of the time. Like, honestly, give give that computer some more caffeine. Just you wait, is all I shall say. It looks it looks actually quite quite a comfortable, very large ship. Mm. You know, it seems a lot more a lot more spread out and comfy than, for example, the Enterprise. It does, yeah, I know what you mean. I like the fact that Zen's flashing lights, his whole sort of his flashing panel is brown. It's a bit counterintuitive to have like a brown computer, but I like that. It's very evocative. It's the colour of the seventies. Yeah, it's quite a seventies looking thing, and the exterior as well. I really like. It's a very uh, and it's hard to tell because it's a thing that I've known. I've known it since it was on this, but it's a very nostalgic, sort of quite Im impressive shape. The exterior as well, with its prongs. That's that's a beautiful description. <laughs> the poetry. It's I think a really good design. I think it's one of those instantly iconic designs. A bit like the a bit like the Enterprise, which is a very strange and distinctive looking yeah. spaceship that look as soon as you see it. It, it it's like it's a frisbee not... with ambition. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. So you got it. It was close, though. Too close. Another few seconds, we'd have all been blown up. Well, it wasn't my fault. Well, whose fault was it? I thought you were supposed to guard the corridor. You were supposed to disconnect that thing, not rely on Gander tearing loose with his teeth. All right, all right, now calm down. And the crew are perpetually grumpy, aren't they? They are so grumpy. <laughs> really I love crabby with each other. Which I, I knew it would appeal, you, appeal to you just for the grumpiness. You know how much I love grumpy people. Mm -hmm. And I loved all of them. I loved how... Every single time Jenna had a line, she squoze in at least five eye rolls. <laughs> she really does. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, Jenna, you literally just telling Blake that somebody left a message. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> and then as soon as you've got over the fact that, like, 
Blake and Jenna are there growling and smouldering at each other the whole flipping time. Then Avon minces through. <laughs> and he just makes he makes them look like an actual sunburst in a shower. <laughs> because he's like, you are all so far beneath me, I don't even know what I am doing with you people. <laughs> Alam must just chomp on some scenery here. He's just rather magnificent, isn't he? He is incredible. I think I wrote... In my notes for the next episode that we look at, that I think him and Villa are an old married couple because they row that much. They do. They're a good double act. But they really, <laughs> they really are a good double act. I just love them. They're all great. Uh, yeah, there's some great lines as well. I, the one I wrote down uh, was Villa running in to visit Callie when she's holding the prisoner. He comes in and says, "Callie, what? I've just been spotted. The alarms are ringing. I thought you ought to know." Yes, I know. I love that line because <laughs> there was there was a pause when she just looked at him like, and... yes, oh love, bless him, bless him and his heart. But it's great because he's the he's the way in for because something like Star Trek, even though there is kind of the bitchy banter between Bones and Spock and that kind of thing, they're all super professional mm. as well. But. Yeah. But Villa barely knows what he's doing and he's always in this state of panic. So he's the one that you can really identify with. Is like, oh, he, I'd totally be him. If I was in the Blake 7 crew, I would totally be Villa. Yeah. I would be like running into the room in a panic yes. and then just stating the obvious and then going, oh, I just stated the obvious, didn't I? And then run out again. <laughs> I, I'd be the one who gets spotted and the guards alert and i'd be the one going i don't want to go down there i'm scared yeah you you really will be villa i think i will probably be more avon <laughs> yes and i will <laughs> i will be uh yeah i will be uh far more dismissive of like the universe and everything <laughs> but yeah i think the difference is that like you say um the chaps and chapesses on the star on the starship enterprise are professionals whereas these guys are escaped convicts, yes. as far as I know. Mm. Is that right? Uh, so they're clearly not professionals. They're just trying to not die. And Bill is trying to not die harder than anybody else. Yes. Would you like me to give you a bit of, now you've seen it, a bit of background on the characters? Yes, please, please do. So Blake and Callie are freedom fighters, essentially. So Blake is right. quite a famous freedom fighter. Mm. Uh, and he was captured and convicted, and there's a whole backstory which... I won't go into here, but it's it outlined in the first couple of episodes. He's ended up on this super spaceship with teleport capabilities and faster than anything else, this alien spaceship that they discover. And he ends up on there with a number of the other people from the prison ship. Um, so yeah. all the other people apart from Blake and Kelly, Callie, they find later she's a resistance fighter from another planet. She's, she's alien. You might have picked up she's uh, telepathic as well, but only one way. So she can project thoughts. No, I didn't, I didn't pick that up, but, uh. Ah, no, she doesn't do much of it in these two episodes. So the others are all criminals. So Jenna is a smuggler and a pilot. Yes. Gan is a murderer, I think. Obvs. Um, and he's got a special implant in his head, which is quite like the tripod's cap. That, that he has a limiter oh, to stop him doing murders. So he's big and powerful, but he can't currently kill anyone. Thank heavens. I feel like we've already been through, and Avon is a computer expert and swindler, embezzler, fraudster type character. So he yeah. uh, was imprisoned for for basically using his computer skills to defraud 
central banks. Right. That makes sense. That sounds like exactly the kind of, of uh, Avon-y thing he would do. Um, I thought this episode, um, particularly leading up to the explosion, it does a good job of building the sense of urgency. That whole opening scene gets more and more urgent as it goes along and more of them beam down and it does it does a good job of keeping you on the edge of your seat. It, it does. It was a really exciting episode. Callie, Gan, get the prisoners out of here. Find somewhere to hold them. Callie, you stay with them. Gan, when you've started setting charges, come back in here. Right. Blake. This is it. And that, this, is, this is the only time I've seen it. And, and, and I was, you know, I was gripped. And it was quite a human moment, I thought, when it takes them a little while to realise that Callie isn't there. Dave and I want you to make a start with that. Callie can help you. Where is Callie? Anybody see where she went? Has anybody seen her since she came back on board? I haven't seen her. Neither have I. They haven't contrived some big plot thing. They just haven't. They've just forgotten to notice, or it's just like they've assumed she's there and she's not, which I really I think like. It's because yeah, because all of the personalities are so big on the on the ship. There's there's Blake being in charge and grumpy, and then there's Jenna being the grumpy receptionist and then there's Avon being <laughs> him and then there's Billy mm. being terrified and then there's the other fellow whose name I can never remember just being very large um I think I would probably be him to be fair just just very large <laughs> I'm not doing anything I'm just big just lurking <laughs> I'm just lurking bigly uh and then <laughs> Callie is just she's in comparison to the others quite a, a quiet calming kind of influence on the dynamic she is so she would be a very easy character to miss i think so it, it felt natural that that it would happen that that them missing her would happen in that way yeah you wouldn't miss avon you wouldn't really you wouldn't kind of like oh avon's not here so it's the first appearance of serverland Oh, is she the Supreme Commander? She's the Supreme Commander and she would become... So up until the first five episodes hadn't really had a human focus for the Federation. They were just a, mm. they were a big, faceless, bureaucratic nightmare. But this is where we first meet uh, Servalan and Travis, who uh, then from then on become like the human focus of the Federation. So it makes the... It certainly makes the Federation a more flamboyant place. It certainly does. Um... She is, or she she did, in fact, appear in an episode of Man in a Suitcase as a spy called Ruth, who defected ah. to the other side um, and tried to tried to double cross the aforementioned Man in a Suitcase. So as soon as she appeared, I was like, "Oh my goodness, it's Ruth!" Um, but I'm probably the only person who would have thought <laughs> that. <laughs> I think so. Servalan is certainly uh, Jacqueline Pierce's most famous mm. role, and in fact, the other. Even though it's called Blake Seven, Blake is probably only the fourth most iconic character in it. So if you think of Blake Seven, you think of Avon, and you think of Villa, and you think of Servalan, and then begrudgingly you go, "Oh yeah, Blake was in it as well." I guess. Yeah. So what did you think to uh, well, Servalan? Well, obviously I love her. The lady baddie boss wears a lovely outfit, has great hair and makeup, and isn't here for any man's nonsense. She's hired Travis to seek, locate and destroy Blake. Everyone is a bit worried about this, but she's determined. She don't care. I loved her. I thought she was great. I, li <laughs> I like Dream Man in a Suitcase. She's got amazing hair. I mean, I'm sorry. I know this is like a really shallow thing to comment on, but she has got amazing hair. I mean, what more do you want me to tell you? Yeah, and it's very different for 1978. She always reminded me of Mark Armand. 
I think Mark Almond would be absolutely delighted with that comparison. So uh, Servalan is forever flirting with her officers, mm. and we see a good example of that here. With Ray. But why so formal, Ray? What can be so important that we can't discuss it in a more relaxed way? Oh, Ray, come here. Ray. I thought we were old friends. And it's like in um, Martin Scorsese or or um, Francis Coppola mafia films that if ever you see the the gangsters hugging each other, you start to get worried for one of them. Yes. And it's the same with, with Servalan's officers, that if she starts flirting with them, you start to get really worried for them. She's probably going to kill one of them. Pretty much, yeah. They're not they're not long for this world. But actually, she's very subtle here, it's because this is her first episode and it, it, she hasn't really, really been established yet as the long-running favourite. The performance here is much more of a... Because she was intended as a one-off character. She was written as a one-off character initially and then she was just so good in the role and so popular that they brought her back. She's playing it as this new character as opposed to Supreme Commander Servalan, who everyone knows and loves. So it becomes much more of a much more of a showy thing possibly later where it's just like, hey, it's Servalan, like in sitcoms when everyone applauds when Kramer comes in and it's 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 similar with Servalan. It's like she bursts in through the door. She walks in and like does does the whole arm spread out thing. <laughs> yes. Maximum power. And we also meet the other for the first time we meet the other villain of Blake Seven. Uh Travis, played by Stephen Greif, who uh, I think is the best Sherlock Holmes we've never had. I'm getting very strong Jeremy Brett vibes from him. This is the first time we meet him, so Mm. he comes back. Yes. Fantastic. Yes, he's a regular. I'm glad to hear that. Because he's certainly got a presence, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got a lot of leather. I wrote, Travis comes in, all in leather, with some kind of plastic thing on his face. (laughs) Travis looks like his life is just one endless round of itching, sweating, <laughs> and talc. <laughs> this is why he's in such a bad mood all the time. He really gives some of those officers a roasting, surprised. doesn't he? Yeah, he's probably chafing like anything. <laughs> he has got rashes everywhere. <laughs> God love him. And he's wearing that. He's wearing that big yellow ring, which has has been stolen more than once by Leo McKern. A note I made, uh, and this is this is Blake's heaven, but also apparently all cult shows of a certain era. People can't bring themselves mm. to say the word woman; they can only say girl. They repeatedly refer to Jan Chapel, uh, Callie, as a girl. She's thirty three. It's the girl who was holding his prisoner, sir. The word the w- word woman never appears. It's just always the girl. Too many syllables. Mm. Personally, I I don't have any issues with girl or woman mm. like it, either's fine and if you think i'm young enough to call me a girl please please go ahead and do it the oil of you lays working <laughs> i'll take it uh then we meet uh travis he's watching uh blake's sex tape oh. <laughs> although it's all just black and white still photographs oh my goodness i'm not being funny but i i was literally messaging and my, my friend jules will be listening to this i think and I said to them that I feel really bad about pointing this out, but A, all of the guns look obscene. They look like vibrators. <laughs> and B, <laughs> the bad guy is just looking at a bunch of photos of the lead character making own faces for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> and I was like, I can't tell Adam this because he's too pure. <laughs> 
I'll scar him. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's supposed to be Blake being tortured, but... but uh, he looked like... He, he looked like he was having a really good time. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, one of the things I was going to mention about the choice, my choice of episodes, is that the first episode, the, the the intuitive and natural thing would have been to have sent you the first two episodes, so you got the entire setup. But the thing with Blake Seven is, it begins as it doesn't mean to go on. That the first three or four episodes, particularly the first episode, they're really grim. They're really bleak, hard hitting, very kind of 1984 feel to them. And it's it's Terry Nation in his Terry Nation bleakness mode. But actually, once they're on board the Liberator and once the whole crew is set up, it does become space opera hijinks with lovely, fancy disco costumes. And they're looking like and so the whole the whole initial premise, in a way, is kind of thrown out the window and it does become, it, it turns into Flash Gordon, essentially. We, we'll find out later, but if you did fancy watching more, it's definitely what, worth watching the opening episodes. And I really sort of appreciate that they did take the time to set it up properly and not do it all in flashback. Um, and that it does take four episodes for the whole team to be assembled. But it certainly isn't representative of what Blake Seven would go on to be. No, no. And I think if you had start, probably started me on the first two episodes, I may have had a different reaction. I to think it. you definitely would have. It's it's a, it's a very different show. We're promised a different show to the one we get. And I'm grateful for that because I don't think we would have been able to sustain 52 episodes of what the first episode was promising us. Right, yeah. Uh, it probably would have been good, but it would have been remembered very differently and it would have been a very bleak viewing experience. But yes. but instead we get campy fun, which is always preferable in my mind. Certainly very campy. A great line. She's alive. I knew she wasn't dead. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. I'm going to tell that. <laughs> I wrote that down too. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wrote... Blake, D-N-G-A-F, he's going to rescue Callie. He really is. And I, I'm skipping to the end here. I don't know if you have... We'll, we'll see if you have other notes. But my final note for it... No, no, it's fine. I'm, it, I'm skipping to the end as well. Uh -huh. My final note is I just love at the very end how um, when Travis is demanding that they ignore him and fire on Blake, that just the last thing you hear of him is that his voice starts to break as if he's crying. And I really like that, that... It's it's a really it's an odd unexpected moment, and it takes a couple of you. I don't know if you even noticed that, but it takes a couple of viewings to notice that he does see sound like he's crying at the very end. It doesn't matter about me. We're bringing you up. I order you to take them. Don't stand there, you idiots. Launch the interceptors. I wrote that. Callie had said, "I should like a reason to kill you," but she just said he tortured you. Mm. So of course you've got a reason. For the sake. So, like, she she had sort of, like, sinister moments, but they were kind of not very well placed. And then they and then Blake and Travis had sort of a lot of kind of sinister, angry, flirty moments. <laughs> so, uh, until one of us is dead, I will always be right behind you, Blake. You don't <laughs> yes. matter enough to kill Travis. Oh, It's my definitely God. one of those wow. shows that contrives not to kill the baddie. Yeah. Even though they have the chance on multiple occasions. And, and then the, the, the last line is, run, Blake, run, I am your death. 
I kind of think that Harsh. the problem is that Travis fancies Blake. I think there's a lot of that. Otherwise, why would why would he have all of those pictures for no reason? <laughs> this is the one of the most shippingest fandoms. <laughs> Mostly, actually, Avon and Blake. Oh. Mm. I didn't get that at all. I didn't get that at all from either episode. Uh, in terms of fandom, this is... Uh, so Doctor Who tends to skew more male and Blake Seven tends to skew more female. Mm. So it tends to be women right. who are more into Blake Seven. Oh. If we're going to call the, the women girls, then yeah, then boys are more into Doctor Who. Possibly not new Doctor Who, but certainly classic Doctor Who. Probably newer Doctor Who is, is a lot more female, yeah. but classic. Uh, the only other thing that I wrote was um, Villa's last line was, we're glad you're safe, aren't we? Aren't we? And then Avon's face, I'm dying. So I can't even remember what Avon's face looked like, <laughs> but, I, but I know what, Avon, what Avon's face must have looked like yes. from what I wrote. <laughs> so then we move on to the, the the next episode, which I recommended, which happens to be yeah. the very next episode in the series. Uh, and uh, mm. would you like to tell the dear listener? Well, well, this this is the, the episode that we drunkenly watched 500 years ago. Yes. I probably made you watch this because it is a standalone episode. Yes, that is in fact what you said to me. It's fine, you'll like it. It's a standalone episode. You don't need to know anything else that goes on. And uh, I didn't. <laughs> it turns out, but we. I think. I think there had probably been not quite enough takeaway and a little too much bourbon for me to have made any kind of a coherent sort of argument about whether I liked or disliked yeah. it. Second episode. They go to help another ship in trouble. Turns out there's a murderer on board. Awkward. <laughs> a very young Brian Capron is murdered. That's about it. It's, yes, it's it's a classic Agatha Christie-style murder mystery. Very much so. Poirot, <laughs> I, a.k.a. Avon. Yes. He... <laughs> I, I had him down as Miss Marple, but yeah, either or. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, literally, it could have been either. He's, because He really gets it, into it, was, it. it. He loved it so much. He didn't even care. He 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 didn't care that there was that there were people who had died. He was just like, "Oh my god, this is my moment." Yeah, it's, he's got everyone assembled. He's telling them, and he's everybody's listening to me yes, now. Yes, he's he's outlining the reason in in the classic Agatha Christie style. But we'll get there. That's this is the end of the episode. But but the episode begins with the classic, the cliched um, murder mystery point of view opening where. We see the victim and the handheld camera coming in and the victim looks up and goes, oh, hello, it's you. Yes. And they look delighted and then they're instantly clubbed to, get, clubbed to death, which is how every murder mystery has to yes. open. That is exactly how every, every single one. I just have a quick note here as well. There's a bizarre line where they mm. say that Mark III Galaxy-class ships are fitted with communicators. It must mean there's some ships which aren't fitted with communicators. That's awkward, isn't it? Bumbling along going, oh, if only we had a radio, but... This one doesn't have a radio fitted. <laughs> oh my god, imagine going into deepest, darkest space with no radio. It's the Robin Reliant of Galaxy Class. I'm too claustrophobic to even think about that. <laughs> yeah. It is <laughs> this three-wheeler spaceship. <laughs> so this is uh this one is essentially nuts in May in space. There are some seventies people in the spaceship. It's like a hippie commune in a spaceship. I think the one thing letting it down from being a classic murder mystery is the fact that the mm. this crew they find in the Destiny, uh, it's the Ortega. They're in the Ortega. The crew of the Ortega are just fairly bland, aren't they? 
they're not a bunch of char colourful characters. They are pretty bland. Well, I wrote down that there is... Um, there's the creepy one, the nice one, the grumpy beardy one, the bland one, the bland one, the bland one, the bland one, and the bland one, essentially, is the, is the lineup of that mm. crew. Interchangeable nobodies. Yes, that's them. So it, it doesn't make for a very thrilling whodunit when you don't care too much. It's not good if it's, if it's Mondrian or whatever his name was, or Sondheim or Sarah, or I can't even remember the names of them. The, yes, they the, the were just people that filled spaces. Mm. And uh, to be honest, I was actually surprised that the person was the murderer who was the murderer because I just thought that they'd, that they'd earn all of their wages right at the beginning. Uh, with with very amazing screaming. It made my hat fly in the air. It went on for nine and a half minutes. I I really like the piano, the tense piano music. It would be remiss if we didn't mention Dudley Simpson, who who did the theme music and the incidental music for uh, nearly all of Blake Seven and a lot of seventies Doctor Who as well. I think because I really love the theme tune. It, it, it's a really good theme tune. It's um, very dramatic and makes you think, oh, wow, something really exciting is about to happen. With all of the fanfare, I really, I really like the theme tune. Brilliant. Because a, a, lot of, a lot of theme tunes aren't sort of indicative of what's going to happen in the show. As we spoke about with the Persuaders last week. Yeah, like the Persuaders theme tune is entirely the opposite of what actually happened in the show. But then with Blake Seven, like you hear the the theme tune and and, and the amazing lyrics, <laughs> and you know that something exciting is about mm. to happen. And, and 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 to be fair, both of the episodes I've seen, it, it's not it's not been a dull oh gosh, has it been fifty minutes yet kind of a show. It's been like oh oh crikey, is that it? Is it, is it over already? Crikey. <laughs> Avon, are you awake? Villa, no. Avon, that's what I thought. <laughs> I think they're married. Yeah. Well, I think the best line in the whole thing is um, when Callie volunteers them as the hostages in lieu of Blake going away with the um, <laughs> the isotope. And Avon says, Well, thank you, Callie. What a clever idea. Yes. And then he says something along the lines of, I don't care if the entire planet turns into a mushroom and I just want to know who the killer is or something along the lines. I don't like lines. an unsolved mystery. Yes, that's that's it. So did you did you solve the clue, the 54124 clue? I did not solve the 5412. You know me and numbers. Like I'm ever going to solve and As soon as anybody says numbers, I'm like, oh, this is where my brain nopes out. <laughs> it's... It's a lot beyond me. <laughs> I can't even watch Sesame Street. It is a Terry trope, and I think it's possibly a 60s, 70s science fiction trope generally. Mm. Uh, men have surnames and women have first names. It's true. So all all the male characters on both the Ortega and the Liberator, with the exception of Villa, mm. are all known by their surnames. Mm. So uh, it's Rog Blake and Kerr Avon and Gan something else. I should know that, but Villa Restel. Mm. Um, but all the all the women are so. Uh, it's Jenna Stannis and Callie. I don't think has a surname because she's an Callie's alien. Surname but is... also on the Ortega, ev everyone, uh, all the men are known by their surnames. But mm. we have Sarah. Yes. Although possibly the the 
the other woman who's a bit older is possibly known by her surname as well. Oh, yes. But the it's one, generally the one who the had the really that's... great line to what's-his-name. Uh, there are worse things than being alone sometime. One of them is being with you. Meow. That's right. In your burn. face on time. <laughs> Actual burn. <laughs> Sondheim is extremely creepy. He's extraordinarily creepy. He's extraordinarily creepy. He follows... Um, why can I never remember her name? Callie. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know why she's the least memorable character for me. Uh... But he follows her somewhere or other, and she's like, why did you follow me? And he goes, you're an attractive woman. And she's like, Ew. Like, she, she doesn't even, she doesn't even try and, and sort of argue with him. She just openly shudders in disgust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, men haven't changed. <laughs> <laughs> no, they haven't, haven't thought, nor will, nor will they. No. Considering this is twenty fifth century, or I, I forget exactly when it's set. Twenty fifth. Uh, another great exchange that I loved in this was when they're going through the asteroid field. Have the locators detected the outer edge of the storm yet? No. Yes. No. Maybe. Which is it, Villa? It's maybe. <laughs> Which I love. Oh. <laughs> and the famous line from this episode, uh, Avon socks Sarah on the chin. Oh, yes, says, I wrote that down here, too. Right? You better get her out of here. I really rather enjoyed that. I really rather enjoyed that. Wow, Avon, son. <laughs> but he really did enjoy it. And it was, and, and I'd even noted before he said the line, this was a really good punch by Avon to the girl. I bet, like, after this day was over and they dropped off the survivors on Destiny and Avon just went to bed and went, what a brilliant day. I've really had a great time today. He's just like, oh, that was great. I solved a mystery. I punched a girl on the chin. I did some banter. <laughs> I think when he's alone, like, he's he's not quite so cool. He's going, oh, that was brilliant. I did some brilliant banter. I was so funny. I love to think that this is true. <laughs> oh, actual headcanon accepted. <laughs> this is like he has he has his own, not just like his own quarters on the ship, but like he has his own entire section of the ship, so he can be a dork to himself without worrying about being disturbed. <laughs> yeah, wearing his onesie and just yeah, enjoying how <laughs> having a constant monologue to himself. <laughs> about how cool he was in the last mission. The only other note that I wrote was uh, Phyllis' last line, which was, take us round the easy way this time. Because, God love him. <laughs> that cowardly little idiot. I love him. That's a good final line, because it's not too wah, wah, wah. It, it does actually, it's not a, it's not a crowbar in gag. It is actually probably what he would say in that moment. Because occasionally it does have the Scooby-Doo endings. Uh, and like I said with The Persuaders last time, the end of the, the Home of One's Own episode, where it has a really wah-wah-wah ending. But this one feels quite natural, I think. Yes. Yes, I think it, I think it did. And, and, I, and I like that. And because I just feel like everybody would instantly be all like, oh, bless. 
<laughs> All right, we'll go around the easy way this time. Don't worry. Yeah. You just you just go and have a nice cup of tea and maybe T- take yourself up in bed with a cocoa. Yeah, honestly, I think you're consider- considerably more sympathetic towards Villa than any of the crew ever are. <laughs> well, I'm not being funny, Adam, but <clears throat> my best friend's a bit of a wimp, so I know how to deal with. Them. I'm not. I mean, I don't. I don't want to cast any aspersions on you, but you were bullied by an eight-week-old kitten last last time I saw you. Yeah, this is true. I feel like I could. I, I just sort of like slipped into a into a sort of instant protective kind of mode where Villa was concerned. Yeah, I think so. He does. He he often just needs a good cuddle. We're going to come to our regular questions now, um, and I probably already know the answer to some of these, but uh, we'll start with uh, your favourite and least favourite characters. Okay, well, you see, favourite is very difficult because Blake is really, really, really grumpy and smouldering, has mm. curly hair and like is just beautiful. So, uh, like, I really like him. He's great. Avon is just fabulous. I'm like fabulous with several O's and U's. Yes. And then there's Villa, who's just who just needs protecting, um, and cake. Um, so like I love all of them, and I love the fact that Jenna is just constantly done with all of these men's nonsense. She does nothing but roll her eyes and write on a clipboard. <laughs> So can you pick one, or do you want to just go for the crew as a whole, or the, that quartet? Yeah, probably. I think I'll probably say the crew as a whole, but mm. maybe quantifying it with Callie being my least favourite because, although she has her moments, she seems a little more drippy and forgettable than the rest of them. Okay. Well, hopefully you'll be able to see some stronger Callie episodes in the future. One of the Terry tropes. Uh, that, was, that we sort of that I mentioned before was is that he tends mm. to quite he tends to write stock characters, uh, and I think it's the charisma and the creativity of the actors really bring those characters to life and make them. Uh, because I think Blake is like the leader, uh, Villa mm. is the cowardly one, Gan is the big strong yes. one, Jenna is the blonde we one. We all trademark sounds the, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, Callie is the telepathic one, and he's just sort of d- 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 like that. And I think it's it's really the uh, partly the writing of Chris Boucher and partly the uh, mm. just the charisma of the actors who really brings the character to life and makes them specific real people that you can invest in. So Villa isn't just the cowardly one; he's Villa, and Avon isn't just the brainy, grumpy one; he's Avon. And that kind of thing. So mm. they just they become real people. Uh, interestingly, Terry Nation really didn't like Michael Keating's performance as Villa, and he wanted to write him out. Can you believe that? What? No, I know. Don't you dare! It's quite uh, it's it's quite startling. It's like it just wouldn't be Blake Seven without Villa. Well, I think my favourite character is Villa because mm. I always identified with Villa. I can see that, uh, and. Probably my least favourite character is just the five or six really bland crew members of the Ortega. Uh, so did you have a favourite and a least favourite bit or aspect? Oh, I tell you the thing that I... And I know this is a really pedantic thing to not like, but the thing I liked least was that there are in, in all of the other sci-fi shows, there are really good euphemisms for 
transferring a life form from one place to another. Like, for example, in Star Trek, mm. it's energize or beam us up. Right. In Blake 7, it's put him down. <laughs> yes. And, and you don't know where bring he's been. us up. <laughs> bring us up like vomitors. Why not? <laughs> like, wow, guys, take two minutes to come up with a better euphemism. So uh, that was that was actually my worst thing. I'm out. Of, oh. I'm out of all of the things that I could have said. I think that's quite quite a thing. That's not bad actually. Yeah, just a sure. just a small. My my favorite thing. I think he's just filler in general, and um, I get why you identify with him so much. Um, like mm. you can say it's because he is a bit of a wimp, but I think it's because. He's just so endearing and lovable, and he's just one of those people that you want to spend time with. Um, just make sure that nothing hurts them, and I and I think that's kind of like I I think that quite a lot about you. <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> I just always feel so protective of you, um, and and I kind of feel like that about oh, Filler well, as thank well. You. It's like oh. Just, just, just let me get him away from all the, all of the awful things, and just let me like comb his hair and feed him cake. It'll be fine. Don't worry. <laughs> and I think he is probably the character that is, and we talked about this a little bit last week as well. Is is the bridge between the audience and yeah. the rest of the characters because he is the character that all of the audience will say, "Yep, yeah, that Definitely. that one's me. That one's me. I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm a bit scared too." So I think I probably know the answer to this, yes, but uh, would more. you watch more? Excellent. Well, don't watch any more than series A because we are going to do a, an episode on each of the series. At least this time, when I'm watching the rest of the series, I can like message you right the way through it and say, oh my goodness, such and such buddy did this and thingy Geo said this. And, and I'll probably enjoy it a lot more when I can spam you <laughs> with things I liked and, don't, and didn't like as it's happening yes oh, yes God, i was having to restrain you from messaging me not nice mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you know me having to shut up is not a thing that i'm used to <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, would you like to take us out yes thank you ever so much for listening to us ramble about our favorite shows once more uh it has been a joy for us to have you along for the ride if you would like to get in touch with us our Twitter account is at retro underscore tube. And if you would like to send a slightly longer message, you can always email us. Our email address is retrotubepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we would love to hear from you. Absolutely. That's been me. I've said the words. You can say you can say more words if you like. Well, until next time, bring me up. <laughs> no, I'd much rather put you down. <laughs> This is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. My folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. Don't talk to strangers, don't play on the farm, and don't go to Almondby. Heather's on-off boyfriend Stephen has gone to the mysterious village of Almondby. He went for two weeks, 
and no one has seen him in six months. The only trace of him which remains is his voice, distantly calling for help, drifting across the fizz of shortwave radio. With a couple of friends in tow, Heather sets off through a warped, distended version of the English countryside, baking in perpetual summer, to track Stephen down, and to find out for herself why everyone says, don't go to Almondby. Author Eric LaRocca called Lost in the Garden eerily enchanting and profoundly inventive, a dreamy and unsettling masterwork. This is one of the freshest and most spiritually rewarding novels I've read in quite some time. And author Matt Wazilowski described it as like trying to recall a troubling and beautiful dream. It's like peering through a wound in the world, sorrowful and uncanny and utterly stunning. This book is magnificent, like nothing I've ever read before. Thank you, Matt and Eric. Lost in the Garden by Adam S. Leslie, published by Denink Books, priced at 10.99. Look for the pink and white cover.